0: Hello once again, everybody. Welcome to These Present Days, a podcast of The Unusual Place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the times that we're living in and the grace that you've given us to navigate these times and the victory and success of your people because of your spirit and your word working together on our behalf. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for bringing this topic up today and making us aware of it and what we can do and what we can say to help turn the tide and win the day. In the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Okay, this is an interesting one. It's, it's kind of a tragic and it's sad and it's depressing a little bit uh, because that's the title, Depression. Uh, depression and American Suicide. I'm going to read a bunch of different news articles, little blurps, and also some clickbait titles and things like this that we've seen in the last three years. We're in 2022, uh, the month of June, and um, yeah, the world and our country has gone through a lot of things and hasn't come out of it. And... uh, Around the world and around the globe, it hasn't come out of it either, because they're not going to come back. These present days that we're living in right now are going to continue to progress or digress. Some people might put it that way because they see nothing but negative. But to progress to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, as it was in the days of Noah, he said, so shall it be when the Son of Man returns. And so we know the days of Noah were evil. We know the days of Noah vexed a righteous man's spirit. We know the days of Noah were so bad that God had to destroy everything and everybody except for eight souls and a bunch of animals on a boat. And here we go again. And it's because of our Heavenly Father's great mercy that is waiting with the door still open to bring people into His kingdom. And that's what it's all about. That's why we're still here, for such a time as this. Um, Suicide is on the increase. I'm going to give you some stats in a minute. Suicide is on the increase. Suicide is self-destruction, to where you kill yourself. I've been to funerals. I've done funerals with a person. I was notified and they told me that the person went to hell. They're never going to come out of hell. They're always going to burn forever and ever. They went to hell and Bad choice that they made because they killed themselves, the last act they did on the planet was murder, was to murder themselves, And the theology is screwy at best. I mean, some drunken monks in the bottom of a monastery somewhere must have come up with this ideology or psychology, because it certainly has nothing to do with theology or the knowledge of God, because The Bible says in Ephesians chapter five, that no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Why would he put that in the Bible? Why would he put a comment like that? Why would God make a statement like that? Because once you understand that if ever your body is destroyed by your own hands, knowingly or even unwittingly, or you don't care or give a rip, um, it's not normal, it's not regular, it's not life as usual. There is an inter- an interference there, an interceptor there. You see, when the World Trade Centers came down, you know, by the airplanes and probably you know with all the conspiracy theories out there and all the documentaries that are out there and all the show this show showing of different angles of the building and these explosions on different floors it looks like it's a demolishing um, building that is being run by a great company that's been used over and over again and really can bring it down right on its, on its own footprint and not uh, uh, wreck other buildings around there and the damage can be controlled <clears throat> and it looked like that and we don't know, we don't really know, there's a lot of conspiracy about it and stuff but one thing we do know, that a couple of planes flew into two buildings and they had a lot to do with it coming down and those planes belonged to American Airlines and United Airlines and when the pilots were removed from their seats and in some cases killed, when well, they certainly would have been killed when the crash took place, but they removed them from their place in the cockpit and they took over the cockpit and they started to change direction of the plane and took it right into the buildings. and. In both cases, the ownership of the plane never changed hands. Because some thieves who come to kill, steal, and destroy, doesn't that sound familiar? That's what the devil comes for. These people were emissaries of hell or acting just like their father, the devil, who is a liar and the father of lies, and he's a murderer from the beginning, and so the planes were taken over by people that were being operated because, you know, when they were getting into the cockpit of American Airlines and United Airlines, the devil's already climbed into the cockpit of Muhammad, whatever his name was, and the other guy, uh, whatever. And they already, cli- they already got climbed into and occupied by some satanic beings, and we don't want to measure that because we can't. And we don't want to weigh that because we can't. We don't want to calculate that because it doesn't make any sense. But that's a fact. That's a fact all the way through the Bible. And if you're a Christian, you need to start wising up and not just writing things off as bad humans. Bad humans, always bad humans. Of course, humans are bad because of sin. And sin is a spiritual entity that's taken over like a disease, the human race. And so that's why Jesus had to come, to eradicate that plague. So, what we have going on in our country right now is pretty suicidal I mean you couldn't you couldn't make worse decisions for the population of this country from one administration the previous one to this administration and do away with the ones that seem to be working the policies were in place the things that were Done and the decisions that were made and the treaties that were signed and blah, 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 blah. You couldn't, if you tried, you couldn't destroy this country faster or better than the decisions that have been made. And so right now you could say we are a suicide nation. And it's gotten into and leaked into all the way down to the cell level. The cells are the human beings. All the way down to the cellular level, this nation has become suicidal. People are despairing. People are worried. People are anxious. People are losing their God-given minds and thinking, and the decisions that are being made. You know, the the fights and the protests, and and uh, there's been people killed. There's been people killed, and I'm going to read about some of them in just a moment. And it's just like this, a person walks into an elementary school, and he starts shooting kids and kills. 19 kids and two teachers, he's suicidal. That's a suicide case, people. And we can attribute it to mental illness all we want. Mental this, mental that, that's just telling me when somebody says, oh, it's mental, it's mental. you're mental, because it's not just mental. Mental just describes the cockpit. Who's in there and operating it is another thing altogether. That person isn't using their willpower anymore. Their willpower got taken over, and they became a horrible monster that's going to kill little kids that are unarmed. they're They're going to, that thing took over that person's soul to where they were no longer acting as a humane human being, caring and considerate. They are a coward, and that's what happens when you get taken over by the spirit of suicide, because what a chicken butt thing to do. Is to just off your own self and not face life head on, the challenges that it brings, and not quit, not cave, not give up, but keep on going. Because we've got a God that is going to settle all the issues that we're facing right now if we hang in there long enough. But we got a country that departed from God years and years ago, by and large. we got even Christians that are, that are quitting churches and caving in because they don't like it anymore. They can't get straight answers anymore, and I can't blame them for that. I mean, I can't blame them, you know, for being upset. I can't blame them for, you know, giving up on church life and stuff. But don't give up on God. You had a relationship with God. You, you, you don't want to lose your relationship with God. That's the only thing you got left that could ever get you through another day, is your relationship with God. And so listen to some of these facts and figures and statements that people have been making. And let's see where we go from here. News stories. Buffalo, New York. Grocery store. 10 dead. Uvalde, Texas. Elementary school. 22 dead. Tulsa, Oklahoma. Medical clinic. 5 dead. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. South street shooting. 3 dead. Smithsburg, Maryland. Manufacturing fac- a facility. 3 dead. Listen, there's a lot more since these things took place in just the last few weeks. And it says, this year's shootings involving multiple injuries or deaths are over 200 as of June 2022. The Bible says in Matthew 24, 10 through 12, And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because... Lawlessness will be increased. The love of many will grow cold. Because people are, are running rampant. Lawlessness, if you haven't noticed, was breaking out all through 2020, 2021, into 2022. I mean, the marches and everything, and all of the destruction of property, and people getting killed, people getting killed. Um, all of this stuff is destruction, mayhem, chaos, evil, supernatural powers at work. You see, the betrayals and the hate and the love of many grown cold starts with individuals, but it's going to be stoked like a wildfire by the governance of the greater community that the individuals are a part of. In other words, we've seen evidence that this administration is fanning into flame. The frustrations, the anxieties, the fears that people have had roll over. They didn't get rid of it in 2020 when all the shutdowns and all the mask wearing and all the mandates were coming out. Nope, Uh, it rolled over. It rolled over to 2021 and into 2022 where we're sitting right now. The government hasn't done anything to curb it. Hasn't done anything even, I mean, even in the natural, just in their natural fallen mentality, thinking about raising the level of the mental health institutions and making sure that people get some mental help, mental health help, not the meds that they give them with the cocktails that ends up making you a mass murderer, because that's a factor too. They've even done research on that. Fentanyl and a couple other things, you know, mix, mixing them and matching them, it turns into a suicidal person. Washington, D.C., May 18th, 2021. Being trust pain in the nation, report series has tracked the nation's deaths of despair crisis in 2017. This latest report includes newly released data showing that 156,242 Americans died due to alcohol, drugs, or suicide in 2019, a record number of such deaths in a single year, 2019 leading into 2020. And you don't think they increased? (laughs) And once again, in case you're not familiar with that, it it lumps alcohol, drugs, and suicide. you know, if you're an alcohol user and you do it casually and you like to have a little wine with your meals, a little, little uh, gin and rum after, you know, a long day or whatever like that, you know, you are altering your state of consciousness. you know, you got to understand that. If you're taking drugs, I don't care if they're prescription drugs or not. Prescription drugs might be even nastier than than street drugs, you know, because they warn you about it and you go ahead and do it anyway. They give you all the the caveats that this could cause your hair to fall out, your teeth to fall out, you to go to blind, and also for you to stop breathing. It's just like, oh, give give me two of them. It's just like, wow. I mean, suicide nation? Can you say that? Can you spell that? Wow. And so alcohol, drugs, and suicide make a mean cocktail. And you can put it like this. You abuse alcohol, you abuse drugs, you're suicidal. You're suicidal. You're just not writing a note. You're just not brooding over it. You're just probably not even depressed. You're just stupid enough to go out partying and clubbing and running around and throwing together all kinds of stuff without giving a rat's rear end about your well-being. Where do we lose heart? What happened to our soul? Hmm. Let's read on some more. The impact of COVID-19 pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic impacted Americans in almost inconceivable ways. I'm reading this off of a printout, including illness, the loss of loved ones, the loss of jobs, financial stress, food insecurity, social isolation and learning loss, and the interruption of school-based services for millions of children. These, These stressors are impacting rates of alcohol and drug use and drug overdose deaths as more people turn to substances to help them cope with all this mess. I've added all this mess. From March 2019 to March 2020, the number of calls to the Substance Abuse and Met- Mental Health Services administrators, Disaster Distress Helpline increased by tenfold, no, a hundredfold, no. the US Household Plus survey found that the number of adults reporting symptoms of anxiety or depression from April 2020 through March 2021, that's roughly a year, was triple the number who reported such symptoms in 2019. We thought 2019 was bad. As a June 2020 CDC study found that 13% of adults started or increased substance use to cope with pandemic-related stress or emotions. Wow. 13%, that's a lot, that's a lot. They either started or they just increased their substance abuse. Washington DC, May 24th, 2020, or excuse me, 2022. Death associated with alcohol, drugs, and suicide took the lives of 186,763 Americans in 2020. Did you get that right? 186,000, 763, a 20% one-year increase in the combined death rate and the highest number of substance abuse deaths ever recorded for a single year. While alcohol, drug, and suicide deaths have been increasing for decades, the 2020 increase was unprecedented and driven by a 30% increase in the rate of drug-induced deaths and 27% increase in the rate of alcohol-induced deaths. You see, if you take a look at what the signs are for a suicidal person and apply those to the millions and millions that make up America or just the nation in general and its government, how does it stack up? Okay, according to the Suicidal Prevention Lifeline, these are the risk factors of someone who is suicidal. Mental disorders, particularly mood disorders, schizophrenia, anxiety disorders, and certain personality disorders, okay? Number two, alcohol and other substance use disorders. Okay, number three, hopelessness. Hopelessness, that's another word for despair. Or it seems to be hopeless. Hmm, do you think that might be on a national level? Impulsive or aggressive tendencies. Um, Just look at this guy in the White House and his tendencies to get impulsive and aggressive with people. History of trauma or abuse. Mm. As a nation, major physical illnesses, didn't we have some kind of a manufactured illness that came out of some place over in China? Mm. Previous suicide attempts, family history of suicide, job or financial loss, these are symptoms. Loss of relationships, easy access to lethal means. Lethal means of medicating yourself. Local clusters of suicide. I'm going to tell more about that in a little bit. But suicide runs in clusters because suicide isn't an it. Suicide is a he, is a him. Suicide is a living organism that is not natural. It's not of this earth or of this plane of existence, but it's here, nevertheless. It's running around with the spirit of death and suicide, dancing together. Another sign is lack of social support and sense of isolation. Feel like you aren't being heard by your elected representatives. Stigma associated with asking for help lack of health care, especially mental health and substance abuse treatment, culture and religious beliefs such as the belief that suicide is a noble res- res- resolution of a personal dilemma. That's what some cultures and some religious um, institutions believe. A lot is that a lot of that is coming out of the Orient. It's been that way for years. They figure that you know like in some countries where um, honor killings are okay,. Um, and so if one family dishonors another family, well then they're going to try to, you know, kill to make up for that. You know, like if they took their daughter and had her married to their son and she ran away from the other family, that family, their restitution is an honor killing of that groom and that family that took their daughter away. And so there's other places where... It's not just an honor killing that way, but they dishonor the family, and so they fall upon the sword, so to speak. Just like in the book of 1 Samuel, when First Samuel, when, when, when Samuel is reporting about the things that led up to Saul's demise and how he was small in his own eyes until he got lifted up. And then he got jealous of David and his conquest and everything. And then he's out there hating on David and chasing him down. And then he fights another battle because Saul was a great warrior. He's about a seven-foot guy. And he is on the battlefield with his son Jonathan, and they're losing the battle. And so what they did was, you know, they killed themselves. They fell on the sword, committed suicide. Not a noble thing, you know, but some cultures have adapted it as that would be showing your last act as being honorable, because you honored your parents, because your act one step before your suicide was a dishonorable thing that you did, but then you just straightened it out by making it right, by getting rid of the guy and punishing him. Who did it? You. (laughs) You you go ahead and fall on the sword and everybody is gonna be better off because you killed yourself. And so what this comes out of, what this is born out of is despair, is a lack of understanding of the Um, not only the brevity of life, but also the preciousness of life, because if Jesus didn't put a value on human life, nobody else can. And the value of human life is this divine life of a human being that is divine, and he could have sinned, but he didn't, and he did nothing but good for everybody, and he gave himself for all the wicked and all the evil people because they are worth that much, and are messed up that much, that he has to go to that length to rescue them. In other words, like a lifeguard swimming out there and fending off a shark and getting a person, getting in between another person that's being attacked and a shark and taking the shark on and letting the shark have him, while the lifeguards can grab the other guy that was, Thrash him with a shark momentarily. He's just got a few surface wounds, you know, maybe, you know, bit through the arm quite a bit, you know. But the first lifeguard out there threw himself because he valued the other person's life over his own. Unlike that, is what happened in that Uvlati, Texas children's massacre, which is coming out in the news in just the last, because we're about the news, people. We're coming. We're coming into this thing to where it's coming out Monday, Tuesday, today is Wednesday. And they've got revelations out there, a lot of them, about how these cops didn't respond the right way. They did nothing. And it wasn't because they're underarmed, undermanned, and didn't have the equipment or the skilled people there. There's another reason. I'm not going to comment on it. You know, I don't have the right to comment on it. But all I know is that other places around the country are are popping up and they're speaking in press conferences and they're telling people, because what you do in one situation will will absolutely send a message to people that are being driven by demonic forces uh, that are looking for places to prey upon. And so I've been seeing today, on Wednesday, police departments getting in front of cameras and have a whole staff behind them And they're saying, you know, what happened over there in Texas isn't going to happen here. Because we've got people right here that we're not going to let you come in here. And we'll put a bullet in your forehead. We'll get you before you get inside the school. And we will put our lives on the line. And if it takes us um, getting killed to save a child, that's what we're going to do. And so that's what's going out right now. You know, but what we have here, that that seems to be kind of contradictory, doesn't it? You know, to those that are committing suicide and self-destructing and they don't even care about their own life and then the lives of others, you know, like the, the shooter in, at that place in Texas, at Uvlade, uh, Elementary School, Rob Elementary School. He was suicidal. He, he wasn't gonna walk away. He knew he wasn't going to. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed, I, I don't know about you, but I'm amazed. I'm surprised, I'm shocked. And I wonder why sometimes they, they let the person surrender after they've mowed down a bunch of people, innocent people, unarmed people, women and children and men. And I'm shocked at times because, you know, the way that they're handling it, and you say, well, that's humane. You know, that's valuing the life of the shooter. Too. Of course, you know, they, they should be valued. You know, but if you're gonna go Old Testament you know, like if they are acting and living in a manner in which there is no God, okay, you gotta put them back in the Old Testament because there was no revelation of God around anywhere. Only the, only the Israelites were given laws. You know, they lived by a certain law and if they went outside that law, then they'd have to you know, pay the laws of the land of the day of the people and the nations around them. And so God allowed them you know, to police themselves just like God allows us in different countries to police ourselves a certain way. And so, the eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, life for life, um, that's Old Testament. You know, this is New Testament. Jesus shows us what you do when somebody's caught in the act of adultery. You don't take them out and stone them to death. That was the Old Testament. You forgive them. New Testament. Okay, but if the person is unrepentant, if the person doesn't even know God, doesn't believe in a God, has no respect for God, Well, guess which one you fall under now? You fall under the God that has to eliminate the cancer and the viruses and the diseases that people become. Um, I'm talking about a God of love, people, who flooded the whole earth and killed millions and millions. There were millions of people on the earth and saved eight people. Why? Because the others had gotten so corrupt, there was nothing that could turn them around. Who knew Who knew that for sure? God did. God is the only one that knows the heart. And so, don't think for a split second that God won't let that happen, things like that happen, or even get behind it. Because when Jesus returns from, from being up in heaven all these years, and he comes back for his church, and he air the church off of the earth, gets them out of the way, he's gonna pass judgment on the Antichrist, the false prophets, the devil, the, the fallen angels, the demons, the people that align themselves with them, there's gonna be blood filling the, the, the valley of Megiddo in the Middle East, between Asia Minor and the Middle East. Up to the bridle on the horses, the blood is gonna run that deep. And that's coming from a God of love, because a God of love will throw himself in the way of harm to save people that he loves. Um, let me just say this, refer to Jesus. That's all you got to do, is just refer to Jesus on that one. Was Jesus suicidal? No. Because that kind of question pops up in people. You know, he just gave it up. He just laid back. He just let them pound the nails in, in the spikes. He just let them stick him in the side with a spear and let them open up all of his organs and vital, um, Vital functions of the body by tearing his back wide open, and then putting him up on that cross to die a criminal's death. He just let them do it. He just gave his life. Um, no, what he did was he saved. He saved everybody else's life. That's not suicidal. In the garden before he went to the cross. He wrestled with it a little bit, as a human being would. He said, Father, is there another way to do this? But, if there isn't, not my will, your will be done. And he already knew the answer, but he's just asking because of of the anguish of his soul. He was sweating drops of blood. His capillaries were pouring into his his, um, sweat ducts on his face and his forehead. And so, was he suicidal? Not in your life. He embraced life to the maximum. He was in love with life so much that he gave up what life he had left after 33 years to save everybody else's life that'll ever be born ever since he came. And that's multiple billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of times over. And so what are some of the other things? Cultural and religious beliefs such as the belief that suicide is a noble resolution or a personal dilemma, you know, that's certain things that creep into, you know, institutions like the church and some places like colleges. Exposure to others, this is another thing, who have died by suicide in real life or via the media and internet, you know, because some things that are disturbing that there's a trial going on right now, and there's a trial that had already happened previously in two different cases in two different parts of the country to where somebody who had a friend on another part of the country um, that they met over the internet, and they had a relationship, and they develop a deep, deep care for each other, and the one was having a depressing, you know, a depression and, 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 and discouraging um, few days, and the person that um, was not there with them that, supposedly cared about them, loved them, uh, started to manipulate them into killing themselves, grooming them with terms like, if you love me, you'll kill yourself and get, you know, and stop your pain and stop your misery. And they did. And it came into the court system. And we're going to find out how they're going to try this and play this thing out, because that's complicit to somebody killing themselves. And that's, depra- that's, that's depravity right there. That person is so depraved of any value for human life, even their own, but especially other people when the person is struggling and you're, 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 you're grandstanding over here, applauding them, encouraging them, and then even chiding them when they get cold feet and they want to back out of it. Oh, God help you. God help you. And so these are signs of a society decaying and coming to a place where the government doesn't have the answers. More money doesn't have the answers. Better neighborhood doesn't have the answers. Policies and laws being changed in your favor doesn't have the answers. (laughs) Party lines in politics doesn't have the answers. Color of your skin, go get it bleached, go get it darkened, doesn't have the answers. Nothing can answer the plague of the 21st century which is suicidal, self-destructive despair. And where did it come from? Mm. Wow, where did it come from? Where did that come from? It came from the absence of God. The absence of God is despair because the presence of God is hope eternal. So the absence of God is hopeless, is despairing. And the funny thing about this is, you should never suffer from the absence of God because God is everywhere. What you're suffering from is the awareness of the presence of God. Mm. And so this last one, I wanna try to emphasize a little bit more, exposure to others who have already died by suicide. Suicide runs through family trees. I've seen it, I've done funerals for people that have had the same thing hit the other family members. I have helped stop it with people and educating them because suicide is a spirit. It's not natural, it's supernatural. It's a demonic spirit that is akin, like first cousin, to the spirit of death or the spirit of murder where you murder and you become a mass murderer because you don't have anything to put the brakes on inside your conscience because your conscience is seared with a hot iron and you don't care about your life or anybody else's life. And so you are a candidate for being a mass murderer and also at the same time, you don't care if they shoot you in the face while you're murdering and that's suicidal. And so you're not gonna, you're not gonna um, try to lawyer up Try to negotiate, you know, try because you're so gone that the only way to get to you or get through to you ever again is on the other side. It's in the spirit world. Because you're one step away from it because if you're suicidal. See, this last one is an interesting one because they have an understanding of spiritual things that happen when somebody is exposed to somebody else who has committed suicide. Are you kidding me? Yes, they have that. They have that written up in their suicide manuals for the suicide hotline to ask those questions of the family member they called in and, 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 and took them up on the deal of calling if you feel you know self-destructive and things like this. And they start counting them and they ask that question. That's one of the first questions. Has anybody in your family ever committed suicide? Why are you asking that question? Because they know. The answer is, it's running down the line. Wow. See, even though they don't understand that it isn't the person that they have to look out for, they don't understand it's a demon. It's the spirit of suicide. I saw this, I'm sad to say, this horrible, horrible interview with a pastor. Young pastor. Young married man. Young father five kids young wife 27 years of age at the time was feeling depressed and depression is a key that's one of the first steps that's not the biggest despair is even worse depression is just feeling the weight of the world on you feeling like you are under pressure feeling like you know you got you're, you're in a squeeze you can't breathe despair is where you give up Wave the white flag, I'm done. But you got to get to depression first. And depression is called the spirit of heaviness in the Bible, which we'll look at in a few minutes. But the thing is, God gives us what to do about it. You don't tolerate it, you don't coddle it, you don't try to psychoanalyze it, you don't give yourself shock treatments or take yourself in, you know, and have them do a frontal lobotomy on you. And it's not a mental illness. They only call it mental illness because they don't believe in the supernatural, spiritual side of it. They don't believe it. They don't want to believe that. That's too far-fetched for them because if it was true that it's supernatural and spiritual, they couldn't do a damn thing with it. And you know what? They can't. Shock treatments ain't going to work. Checking yourself into the best clinic west of the Mississippi River can't work because this little story I started telling you about this pastor, he's of a large church. God bless his soul. He's a, you know, he's a brother in Christ. But as a church that doesn't believe in the supernatural, doesn't believe in healings, doesn't believe in deliverances, doesn't believe in demonic forces, doesn't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, doesn't believe in being spirit-filled, speaking in another language, he doesn't believe in any of that. What is he what is he left with? He's left with a dead, dry, bone-dead, dry religion. And yet you can still be a wonderful person believing in the same God and the same Jesus that we do. And here's the result, she got so bad that he he couldn't do anything. He, just, he kept trying everything that he could, counseling, taking her into counseling, all this stuff. And so he finally decided to check her into a clinic because he's not fighting a demon. He doesn't know of any demon. He doesn't know of any suicide spirit, doesn't know of any of that stuff. And so he's going to just take her. You know, the meds stopped working. They made her sick. They made her, you know, not be able to sleep and more irritable and stuff like this. And so we got to check her in. We got to check her into the best place. And so they checked her into the best place over in Phoenix, Arizona. And this place had her on suicide watch. Oh, they knew that they're supposed to. And, you know, the suicide spirit, just like any of the demonic spirits that are out there and then they crawl in there and become, you know, a occupant of a person's soul because the heart belongs to Jesus. And this is a, a saved woman that's going through all this, but the soul has been taken over. Like, the ownership of that plane is still united in America. Remember I told that? That's for a reason. Because no person ever hates their own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it. Well then, how do they kill themselves then? Because it wasn't them. They got overtaken. And the people that are half sane, even just a quarter sane around them, could, if they understood this, could do something to prevent it and stop it. (laughs) I'm not trying to place blame on anybody because you don't know what you don't know until, it flies in your face and you realize you didn't know it but what you do know you got to use what you do know and if that's not working you need to find out where there's some more that you have to admit that you didn't know and you have to open yourself up to things because if you're not getting getting through right there you go to the Bible and I'm not saying That if you don't get results, you go to the doctor. You don't get results, you go to the psychologist. Don't get results. No. No, 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 no. They don't know what they're dealing with. Why would you go there? No. God is your first, second, third, fourth, and fifth choice. Everything else can take a number. You're going to choose God. You're going to stick with God. You're going to double down on God. You're going to quadruple down on God. And if you're using all the knowledge of God that you've got, you better get some more knowledge of God because there's a lot more that you don't know about God than that you do know about God. You hundred-year Christian you, because you could be a Christian for a thousand, million, trillion, zillion years and still not even scratch the surface of knowing God. And so you have got to burrow in and get the answers and fight what they call the good fight of faith against spiritual beings, putting them in their place by the authority of the name of Jesus as such. Cause you know what? The devil doesn't want you to know this, but he's eternally defeated. He gets a lot of mileage for that defeat, doesn't he? He's banking on your lack of understanding. The Bible says this, Hosea 4-6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. That's what God said. So, Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 3. Go ahead and turn there with me. Let's look at some scripture and see how this thing stacks up in the scriptures and what we can do about it. Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 3, New King James, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. "...to comfort all who mourn, to console all those who mourn in Zion, to give them the beauty, give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning..." Here we go, here we go, here we go. Ready? You ready? "...the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified." Okay, you're dealing with what? Heaviness. You're dealing with depression. That's a heaviness. Your heart is weighted down, you can't breathe, you feel all cornered. He says, the garment of praise. What's that mean, the garment of praise? He says, to put on the garment of praise. The oil of joy for mourning, if you're going through a loss of somebody or loss of something, like your job, you know, like in 2020 with the jobs being lost because the business is collapsing because the economy's shutting down and all that kind of business, you feel depressed a little bit, you feel a heaviness. And you you could feel like, why try? Why bother? You know, the hell with it. Just throw your hands up. And he says, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You can't have both on. See, the spirit of heaviness cloaks around you like a garment, but it's weighted like it's lead, made out of solid lead. Throw that thing off and put the garment of praise on like Joseph's coat of many colors and lift your hands up and begin to praise God for your breakthrough. Well, I feel kind of silly doing that because I don't feel like a breakthrough. Yeah, yeah, you're never gonna feel the breakthrough until you step out in faith. Sing about the breakthrough. Praise about the breakthrough. Think about the breakthrough. (laughs) Worship about the breakthrough. Because the breakthrough does just what I'm saying. You break through. And if nothing else, just, if you're a bad singer and you will cause dogs everywhere to start howling at the moon if you start singing, um, you throw in that heavy, lead-weighted garment of heaviness or despair and depression, you throw that dang thing off and you're going to be light as a feather. You're going to put your hands up and you have this silk robe that you throw around yourself that's not even a millimeter thick of silk, and it's multicolored. and it's soft and satiny, and you lift your hands up, and you swing your arms around, and you dance for joy, and that that came off of you, that was holding you down, isn't coming back on. You just changed the entire wardrobe of your heart, right there, by doing that. In Psalms 143, verses one through four, Psalm 143, verses 1 through 4, the Passion Translation says, Lord, you must hear my prayer, for you are faithful to your promises. Answer my cry, O righteous God. So David, once again, is in a fix. He's calling out to God. Don't bring me into your courtroom for judgment, for there is no one who is righteous before you. My enemies have closed and caught me, or excuse me, chased and caught me, And crushed my life into dust. Now I'm living in the darkness of death's shadow." That's serious, David, man. Verse 4, My inner being is depression, is in depression, and my heart is heavy, dazed with despair. Wow. So he's calling out to God, and he's telling him right at the end right there, this is where I've fallen. My enemies, verse 3, have chased and caught me. They caught up with me. How does the enemy catch up with you? How do you know he's caught up with you? He's caught up with you. (laughs) When you're starting to repeat the thoughts that he gives you, he caught you. He caught up. He caught up. He got your attention. You're listening to him and now it's coming out of your face. And people around you are hearing it and they need, if they love you, they need to say, hey, 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 hey. Flip that. Flip that script. And so, nobody there is telling David this, and so he said, Now I'm in darkness. I'm living in darkness. I've been crushed into the dust, and I'm under death's shadow. My inner being is in depression. I mean, he could sense all this. He doesn't even know anything about anatomy. doesn't know anything about psychology. And my heart is, heavily, is heavy, dazed with despair. Proverbs 14.13 says this, Superficial laughter can hide a heavy heart, but when the laughter ends, The pain resurfaces, and so a lot of people are hiding it. You know, even though they might have a David moment like this and crying out for help, and, oh God, this is what's happened, and it's like this and like that, but I'm calling out to you, God, oh God. You know, you're the mighty God that saved, and you've saved me before, God, and everything. And then they didn't really get a breakthrough yet, but then they just have a moment to where they have to be about their business, and they run into some people, and they see them, and they put on a happy face, I know nobody out there listening right now has ever done that. Just put on a happy face and fake it. You know, we used to call it faith it. You know, just faith it. Put on a happy face and faith it. And you laugh with everybody when they're laughing, and it's a shallow laugh. Superficial laugh. And it's hiding that heavy heart. Because you don't want them to know what you're facing, what you're dealing with. Proverbs, 20, Proverbs 12, 25. Just listen to this. Just listen to this. The passion translation, anxious anxious fear brings depression. You wanna know where depression comes from? Anxious fear. What's anxious? Anxious is nervous. When you allow fear to settle in, it makes you nervous because fear brings a dread with it. That's first cousin to fear, dread, because you fear what's going to happen and you're dreading it and you're tapping your foot because you know this other shoe is gonna fall any second. You don't know when and how, but you just know it is because you know, you're know you Murphy and Murphy's law is, if anything bad happens, it's gonna to happen to you, right? And so you get negator like this and you allow this to control you and you allow this to ride you like a mule and you're all broke back, like a broke back mule, always carrying these heavy burdens and wondering why you're wore out and you go to bed tired, get up tired, wore, wore out thinner, thinner, your temper's shorter and shorter, your tolerance level is, is shot The pieces, it's gone, it's non-existent. It's like, man, do something. It says, anxious fear brings depression, but a life-giving word of encouragement can do wonders to restore joy to the heart. What? He went from one extreme to the other. The extreme is anxious fear brings depression. I thought depression was bad enough, but anxious fear is the the door key that opens the door to depression, which is next of kin to despairing, in other words, giving up all hope. And, but then it says a life-giving word of encouragement. What's the answer? A life-giving word of encouragement can do wonders to restore the joy to the heart. A life-giving word of encouragement that goes into the heart, that's sent to the heart, Crack open the Bible. Listen to what Jesus has to say anywhere. Or some of these scriptures that you can go back to that I'm reading right now, but all over the Bible, your worth, your value is embedded in Jesus permanently. It doesn't fluctuate with the the stock market. And so if you don't have a person around you, you know, because that works too. Or if you're lacking a person around you, look at yourself in the mirror and start saying things over yourself. You're complete in him. You lack nothing. You are courageous. You are bold. You're, you don't have a problem right here. You gave that over to Jesus. That's his problem now. I'm not going to spend another moment losing sleep over this or worrying and being anxious about that. In the name of Jesus, I've got the victory. That's encouraging you. That's bringing your heart back. And that's what you've got to do. You don't do that. Mm. You don't do that. Anxious fear brings depression, and depression leads to despair, and despair ties the hangman's knot in the noose and throws it over the beam in the garage. Mm -hmm. That's where it ends up. That's where it ends up if you don't stop it. And so Jesus' mission statement was, when he first came back from the 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, he came back and he quoted Isaiah 61 that we just got through reading it, only he made it his own, his, own, his own way of saying it. I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 19. It says this, Luke 4, 16 through 19. When he came to Nazareth, where he had grown up, he went into the synagogue as he always did, on the Sabbath, and when Jesus came to the front to read the scriptures, he was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found where it is written. And that's in Isaiah 61. And he read it and he said it like this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to be hope for the poor healing for the brokenhearted and new eyes for the blind and to preach to prisoners you are set free i have come to share the message of jubilee for the time of god's great acceptance has begun that's encouraging that's anti-desperation anti-despairing is jesus says i'm anointed for this i'm equipped for this god has given me special powers to take care of this and so Why aren't we turning to Jesus? Negligence? Maybe ignorance? Hmm. You know, he took this all the way to the cross. He took his ministry for three more years all the way to the cross with that same mentality of giving himself up for the sake of other people. Psalm 69 talks about it prophetically. David wasn't on the cross ever in his day, you know, being uh, harmed by... King Saul and his men you know, catching up with him, he never got caught by them. He never experienced that crucifixion. But David described the inside of a crucifixion prophetically. In Psalm 69, verse 16 through 21, New King James once again, Hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Turn to me according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Verse 17, And do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me, Hear me speedily. In other words, listen to me quickly. Draw near to my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of my enemies. You know my reproach, my shame. In other words, I screwed up. And my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. Verse 20. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They also gave me gall for my food. And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. What? Is David talking about going through something and they gave him gall or brine? That real sour brine that you have in pickles, you know, around pickles. It's called pickle juice. And gall, that's the same kind of a stuff. That's what they gave Jesus when he's on the cross. And so he's talking from the inside of Jesus because Jesus took upon himself our sin. He took upon himself our despair. He took upon himself our hopelessness. He took upon himself our suicidal tendencies. Verse 20, reproach has broken my heart and I'm full of heaviness. I look for someone to take pity. That ain't going to do you any good, but you'll take that in a pinch when you got nothing else. But there was none. And for comforters, you know, like Job had his ugly little comforters that did nothing but rebuke him and shame him, but he couldn't even find any of those idiots to help. And they also gave me gall for my food and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Of course, he's talking about Jesus right before he gives up the ghost and says, It is finished. What was finished, Jesus? The crucifixion? We can see that. No, the defeat. Of Satan, the devil, the oppressor and depressor and the author of lies and murderer of mankind. And so the one who brings depression, the one who brings us to a point of despairing enough to do something that hurts us, and harms us, that something is selfish, As killing ourselves and not caring what it did to people around us that need us? Oh, we thought it was just a solo act. Mm -mm. Psalm 119, verses 25 through 30. Psalm 119, 25 through 30 says, My soul clings to the dust. Wow. Could this possibly be from the inside of Jesus' chest prophetically again? Absolutely. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. Revive me how? According to your word. What's the instrument of of reviving or resurrecting me? His word. Verse 26, I have declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. In other words, teach me how to walk in it. Verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts. So shall I meditate on your wonderful works. Verse 28, my soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove from me the way of lying and grant me your law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. Verse 28 again, my soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your In other words, he goes back to the word again, back to the encouragement again, back to the building up of yourself from what God has to say and is saying you got to get back to that. we got to feast on that. We're not supposed to live by bagels alone, bagels and lox, bagels and cream cheese. We're supposed to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God the Father. That didn't say every word that proceeds off the pages of my Bible. It said every word that proceeds from the mouth of God my Father. What does that mean? I have to listen to him? Uh, duh. Um, I hope you're kidding when you ask that. You get to listen to Him, you must listen to Him, you have to listen to Him, you're crazy if you don't listen to Him. And He's the one that's gonna walk us and talk us through all of the darkness because we can't even see our hand in front of our face and so we've got to be listening with our heart before we take the next step and the next step and the next step, knowing that the times are treacherous and the, the, the path that we're walking on, although it may not be over a cliff, and treacherous this way? It is a narrow path, because broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. It's a narrow path, but it's a smooth one, and it's it's a straight one, but it's dark. In other words, you need to practice walking around your house at night without the lights on, and remembering where everything was on the floor and in the the placement. And you just kind of like take that into unfamiliar territory, and uh, not literally necessarily closing your eyes while you're driving down the freeway or while you're walking you know, into a building that you work in and going trying to grope your way to the elevator. But figuratively and metaphorically speaking, you're walking in dark places. You're walking amongst darkened people. You're walking where there's a, a whole bunch of dark and the only light that's provided is coming from the inside of you. Because God's Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And in the interest of God's Word, brings light. And so darkness is always associated with depression and despairing. And so Psalm 42, 4 through 6, the Passion Translation says, So I speak over my heartbroken soul. Take courage. Remember when you used to be right out in front leading the procession of praise when the great crowd of worshipers gathered to go into the presence of the Lord? You shouted with joy as the sound of passionate celebration filled the air and the joyous multitude of lovers honored the feast of the Lord? So then, verse 5, my soul, why would you be depressed? Why would you sink into despair? Just keep hoping and waiting on God, your Savior, for no matter what, I will still sing with praise for you are my saving grace. Verse 6, for I am depressed and downcast, yet... I will still remember you as I ponder the place where your glory streams down from the mighty mountaintops, lofty and majestic, the mountains of your awesome presence. In other words, I'm not going to forget you. I'm not going to forget your lofty position. I'm not going to forget the climb of that mountain. I'm not going to forget my way up. And verse 11 says, So I say to my soul, don't be discouraged. Don't be disturbed. For I know my God will break through for me. Then I'll have plenty of reasons to praise him all over again. Yes, he's my saving grace. Heavenly Father, thank you for time and time and time and time again you've proven to be our saving grace. May we not be so flippant to forget and to have to remember and to forget and to neglect and to have to get serious about our relationship with you again and again and again. In these times, we don't have time to keep restarting, restarting. We need to stay on track. And so I thank you, Lord God, for helping us understand the the gravity of this moment and to lock in to a lifestyle of worship and praise of who you are and what you've done and you're continuing to do every step of the way that we have to still make in the midst of this darkness and we're not gonna ever leave the path and go astray. As long as we can hear your voice as you lead us every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Spirit of suicide, I dismiss you. Yes, if you circled these people in the sound of my voice that is hearing this right now, like a shark in the water, I curse you, I condemn your work I command you to retreat. I command you to flee in the name of Jesus for your ultimate and and major position in, in life is not only under my feet, but in utter defeat in the name of Jesus. I resist you and make you flee. And I bind you and keep you away from the people that you were circling. Because life, And life in its fullest is where they're going to stay and they're going to be. In the name of Jesus. That's what I know and that's what I see. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for another session. Until next time, see ya.